God's Word. If you have a Bible, I want to turn you, ask you to turn again to the Gospel of John chapter 17. The Gospel of John chapter 17. And uh, we've been kind of hanging out in this passage here um, as we navigate this series called Election Infection, trying to avoid getting the in- election infection um, as it seems to be pervasive throughout our culture and the, the polarizing effects uh, of what's going on in our country. And it just seems like people are at each other. I've shared several stories. You have shared several stories of family members and uh, daughters uh, who haven't spoken to fathers in over a year and a half of, of um, uh, you know, parents calling and, and texting, um, you know, uh, kids saying, if you vote for such and such, don't even bother coming to Thanksgiving dinner. And, and these things are horrific, hearing that people uh, treat one another that way. And um, it has been crazy. And so as you're looking for the Gospel of John, we've been uh, hanging out in this passage, looking at kind of the last prayer that we have of Jesus. This is called Jesus' high priestly prayer or the Lord's prayer. And, um, and so he, he has just kind of finished washing the disciples' feet. He has just finished the Passover meal and serving the Lord's Supper as we would celebrate it today. And, um, and he has this time of prayer. And, and what is sort of Jesus' prayer request? And that's what we talked about the first week. And we saw that the first thing that he prayed for was unity. And uh, he prayed that his body would be unified, not politically, because we're not going to agree politically, but we'd be unified in the gospel. And that was his prayer request. Like, just think about Jesus' prayer request. You know, again, we talked about that a few weeks ago. You know, if, if we sit in a circle like, hey, I have a prayer request. And if Jesus raises his hand to give a prayer request, I bet all of us would take a listen, wouldn't we? And, um, and, and so that's what he prays for. And so we said, hey, look, the first was we need to be a church. We need to be Christians, believers that are praying for unity, that we don't get distracted. Because he said, if, if we have unity, then, listen, it's not even just unity for unity's sake. It's unity because the world will know that we are his disciples. And that's what he prayed in John 17. And then we backed up a few chapters last week as we celebrated the Lord's Supper. And we saw um, that as he celebrated the Lord's Supper, the command, he said, I give you this new commandment. And this new commandment was to love others as Christ has loved us. And so last week we talked about this kind of sacrificial love, which means sometimes I need to just keep my mouth quiet and so that I don't ruin a relationship over something worldly um, because people are eternal and I need to be concerned about that. In fact, Jesus again went on to say that it's not just about love, but he said, if we have love for one another, then the world, the outside unbelieving world, people who, who would just rather drive on by a church, would rather you know push off the gospel and push off Christians because if we have this kind of Christ-like sacrificial love, then people will know that we are truly his disciples. Not by how we voted, not by our political opinions, but by our unity and by our love. And so I know some of you may be saying, Pastor, you know what? That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I know you've been telling us to, to be a Christian first, you know, then to be a, a Republican second or a Democrat second or Libertarian or Independent second. I know you've been telling us, and this all seems like nice, hold hands, wonderful, sweet stuff. But Pastor... There are some real issues. Pastor, there are some real things going on in our nation. I just want to know, are you going to speak on that, Pastor? That's what I want to know, because if not, I'm going to send you a nasty gram in the email. Uh, you know, uh, I, I want to know, are you going to are you going to tell us, you know, how how to vote and how to, uh, you know, really stick it to these people that are ruining the, the, the gospel and ruining our nation and that sort of stuff. And so the good news is. I will tell you exactly how to vote today. You might be saying, wait, I I, I didn't think that was going to happen. 
And so if you want to write this down, it's actually part of the title, uh, step three. I'll tell you exactly how to vote. You guys ready? How do you vote? You are to vote N-O-T-W. N-O-T-W. Now, you might be thinking, what on earth does that mean? I've never heard of this party. I've never heard of this candidate. And so uh, what exactly is going on here? What is N-O-T-W? It may be a familiar uh, statement to you, maybe a foreign statement to you. In fact, I have to give our brother Donnie credit because um, it was his speaker that reminded me of that acronym. And um, because uh, Donnie has got all kinds of recording equipment that's helped us all throughout this pandemic. And we actually still have some of his equipment here stashed away in the closet. I was moving some stuff this week in church and I, and I saw the acronym. I said, that's the title of the sermon. I knew we were going to be on this passage and, um, and how we were going to navigate that. And I said, it's got to be N-O-T-W. Pastor, what is N-O-T-W? It is not of this world. You can put that in the chat for those of you who are watching online. If you're here in the house, you can look at a neighbor. You can't touch your neighbor anymore. That's illegal uh, in COVID times. Unless they're part of your, your household already, you can already touch your household and just wipe your boogies on them all you want. And uh, But go ahead and tell them, not of this world. Put it in the chat, not of this world. That's how we are supposed to vote as people who are not of this world. We are not to be infected with the world's ways. And though many people would have us uh, vote uh, this way or that way, we are to vote as people not of this world. We're going to talk about what does this look like. And so we're going to read the passage here, John chapter 17, then we'll have a word of prayer and we can jump in. So if you'll uh, look at the passage with me, we're just going to read a few short verses. We'll start in verse 13 and it says this. Verse 13. Again, this is the end of Jesus's prayer, right before he's going to the cross, right before he's getting ready to be uh, falsely uh, accused, beaten, mocked, and, and die upon the cross for the sins of all humanity. And these are his you know, last words before he's on the cross. Verse 13, but now I am coming to you. Again, who is he talking to? He's talking to God, right? So he says, I'm coming to you, God. And these things I speak in the world. In other words, I'm still here in the world and I'm speaking them. Then he says this, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Aren't you glad Jesus talks and cares about our joy? Amen. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the what? world, N-O-T-W, just as I am not of the world. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, right? That would be some of our prayers. Lord, take me out of this world. <laughs> it is messed up. It is broken. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the pain. I'm sick of all these things. God, would you just come back and fix it all? And, and again, our prayer should be uh, the, the Greek word maranatha, which means come quickly, Lord Jesus. But he's saying, no, I'm leaving you in the world for a purpose. I'm leaving you here for a reason. And so verse 15 Right. Verse 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them. You keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 
And for their sake, I consecrate myself so that they may also be sanctified in truth. Would you just join me in a word of prayer over God's word and over our hearts and our time together? Let's pray. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for all who would hear this message, God, all who are reading your scripture. And God, pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and and hearts, Father, God, to receive your truth. Not my truth. Pray you'd help me, a, a sinful man, simply communicate the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we look to you every day, God. And wherever you're at, as you're sitting in your seat or wherever you're watching this, I just want to ask you to have a conversation. God, wherever you're at in your relationship with God, in your spiritual journey, just want to ask that you would maybe say something like this to God in the quietness of your heart. Say something like this, Lord, speak to me today. Just right there in your seat, Lord, speak to me today. And I say something like this, for Lord, I intend to obey. Lord, I intend to obey. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can put it in the chat for those of you who are online. Amen. And so what does it mean to be in the world, but not of the world? To be N-O-T-W, not of this world. And, And how does that impact how we relate in this avoiding the election infection? Well, it's pretty simple, right? We, we have become indoctrinated sometimes with the things of this world. We live in the world. And so we have to be so careful as believers, people who claim the name of Christ, that we are not infected with the world's ways, with the world's systems. In fact, it could be said as a definition that being of the world means this. We follow the ways of this world or we follow the traditions of this world. Or thirdly, we follow the principles of this world or even the ideology of this world. Let me just repeat that again. Being of this world means we follow the ways of this world, or the traditions of this world, or the principles of this world, or the ideology the ideology of this world. And it's subtle, right? Because the devil is not just going to come to you and be like, hey, 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 I'm the devil, come follow my ways. No, he comes in a very subtle way, with lies and with deceit, and, uh, and, and with trickery. And so here are a couple of scriptures that, that I want to encourage us with and remind us. Because it said, the Bible says the whole world, the whole world is under the control of the enemy. And so we have to be careful this doesn't affect us. Let me show you 2 Corinthians 4, 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, In their case, the God of this world, notice lowercase g, this is talking about Satan. The God of this world, the God of what world? This world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. And the Bible says that all of us at one time were unbelievers. And so all of our minds were at one time blind. And what are we blind from? Well, the rest of the verse tells us we were blind and we were kept from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We were blind from seeing Jesus as he truly is. Ephesians chapter 2 We actually read this verse with our Joy Fellowship community group uh, earlier this week. It says this, and you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of what? This world. Y'all with me? Y'all sleeping? Everybody okay? Okay. I thought I was just preaching by myself. I didn't know. We followed the course of this world. Following also who? The prince 
of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air. Who is that? That's Satan. Again, reminding us that Satan has a temporary hold on our world and its systems, its traditions, its thought process, its ideologies. He is infused with his lies. And we have followed those. And he's going to explain that. And then he says this, among, right, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh. Among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh. We all lived there. That's what it says in the rest of that verse there. And it says this, right? We all once lived there in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The Bible says all of us were like this. In fact, we still have a sinful body, and so we we are kind of prone to believing these lies sometimes if we're not careful. But I love the rest of the verse. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Wasn't that beautiful? And so the Christian has been saved because of the great love of God. But there is this propensity in all of us to believe the lies of the world, to, to prone to wonder, because why we still live in what I like to call the, the Adam suit or the Eve suit, right? You know, it's still a sinful, fleshly body, and we are prone to going back to those things. James 4, verse 4 says this, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world, friendship with the world is hatred or enmity? With God, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's strong language, isn't it? Friendship with the world and the world's systems and thought process and ideologies and traditions is enemy, being an enemy of God. And then finally, Romans 12, 2 says this, do not be conformed to what? This world. Do not be conformed to this world. This world is constantly trying to conform us. That means push us and shape us into its mold instead of the mold of Christ. It says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. The Bible says, as believers, we've got to have our mind renewed so we don't think like the rest of the world. I like to call it brainwashed in the right way, right? Not brainwashed like freaky people, okay? Brainwashed as in, I got a sinful brain that needed to be washed and cleansed from all the wrong things that I've thought over the years from all the wrong passions and desires and opinions that I've had. And I've got to get it washed by the word of God. That's what it says, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The Bible says, because we were sinful beings, we didn't know what was good. We thought up was down, black was white, yes was no. And we had to have our minds transformed. That's what happens the moment someone becomes a Christian. When you become a Christian, the Bible says you are regenerated. You are made new. But see, there's still that old me there that likes to go back to the old ways. And we have to make sure that we take the word of God. That's how our minds are renewed. We have to take the word of God and renew our minds. And so how do we become a, a person that, that is not of this world? Because clearly, right? The scripture has painted a very serious picture. We are to be not of this world, correct? We agree with that? So how do we become that type of person? We're going to be back again going through John 17 and looking through that. And so number one, uh, as we apply it to this time frame, 
you can write this down. Realize my vote is important, but it's not eternal. Realize my vote is important, but it's not eternal. You should vote. Hear me clearly. I've said that every week of the series. You should vote. Praise God for the people that have sacrificed. Praise God for the United States of America. We need to vote. We should vote. It is important, but it is not eternal. Parties will come and go. Leaders will come and go. Kings will come and go. Nations will come and go. The Bible says through the prophet Isaiah, it says, what are the nations to God? They are but a drop in the bucket. God has no favorite nations. He loves all people of the world. And while this is important for our nation, for what God has called us to do here, it is not eternal. There are two things that are eternal. The word of God, the Bible says the word of God is eternal and human beings are eternal. And they will spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. And, and so that's where our focus is to be. I love that um, someone has reminded us, uh, his name is Justin Gimity. He is a lawyer and founder of something called the AND Campaign, which stands for Biblical Justice, Biblical Values, and Social Justice. It stands for compassion for all people and conviction according to the Word of God. Um, and, and so he says this in such a beautiful sermon. He says, if, we, if someone were to watch us debate, they wouldn't even know that we were Christians as we talk about politics. They wouldn't even know that we are Christians. Our faith is not evident in any of our discussion. Then he says this, our politics won't win any converts. Have you ever thought about that? Some people are so serious about arguing their politics, and our politics won't win any converts. You know what will win converts? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some people are so bent and speak so much about the political issues and forget that that won't win any converts. In fact, he, he gives a pretty convicting statement. He says, instead, our present situation, which we see, proves that we have ourselves become converts to lesser institutions, to lesser gods. We are discipling backwards. In other words, we are being discipled by the world. We are being discipled more by our parties than we are by the word of God. And so we have to remember that our vote is important, but it's not eternal. In fact, there are many, and the, the video we played the past several weeks, you know, it kind of hypes stuff up, right? And you, you hear in there, vote like your life depended on it. And there are people who are telling us, like, this is the, the, the biggest election uh, that we've ever had. Elections come and go, folks. You know that. And some of you have been around much longer than I have. You know that they, they've been saying that for years. You saw a lot of those black and white footage. That, and they're saying, vote like your life depended on it. No. Preach the gospel like your life and other people's lives depended on it because their eternity is at stake when we preach the gospel, not a platform of a particular party. In fact, unfortunately, uh, I, I saw and heard that James Dobson, who I really appreciate and respect, his ministry focused on the family has helped me in so many ways, but he had sent out a letter saying, this is the most important election, and he quoted Newt Gingrich uh, in that letter. And, and Newt Gingrich was comparing this uh, election to uh, the Civil War and, and Abraham Lincoln, all this stuff, and you got to vote. And then somebody did the research, and Newt Gingrich had used that same quote that this election is going to be the most important and compare it to Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War every election back to 2008. So which one is it? Are they all that important? No, they are important, but they're not eternal. So we have to keep that in perspective. I like to be reminded, as uh, Neil Postman wrote in a, in a book uh, about technology way back in, in 1985, 
1985, Neil Postman wrote this book about how technology and the information age is changing the way we do things and is really hurting us. This was in 1985. Uh, he's passed away uh, many years ago, and imagine if he saw the way our digital age has affected things now. Uh, but in 1985, he, he encouraged people to watch out for liars. L-I-A-R. I'm giving you all kinds of acronyms today. Liars. And he says this is a low information to action ratio. You guys know what a ratio is. I'm bringing back some wonderful memories of math and ratios and chemistry. And, and you guys just love ratios, don't you? It's when you have two different things. He says we, we have a low information on one side to action on the other side ratio. And he says, as we continue to live in the technology age with news being able to travel across seas, we have information about all these things. We have so much information, and especially now we can Google anything. You can Google what I'm saying right now. And be like, I'm checking, I'm fact-checking the past New Cambridge, right? You can do that, right? We have all this information about things that we can do very little about. We can take very little action about most of the things in our world. Is that true? One person said this, my definition is that we know everything about which we can do nothing about. And we know almost nothing about which we can do everything about. All of us now know where Wuhan, China is. Anything you can do about Wuhan, China, or what happened there several months ago? You know all the information about it. Some of you know more about COVID and, and compare it to the flu and all this sort of stuff. And listen, you can't take any action upon that other than doing the simple things we're doing now. Some of us know all about the Democrats and all about the Republicans, and, and can we take action upon that? Some of us know all about the stock market, all about uh, Mike Pence and President Trump and Joe Biden. We know all this stuff about uh, violence in Portland and uh, the stats on racially motivated police killings. We know all of these things. We know about pollution and the environment. We know about Green New Deals and this sort of stuff, and we can't take action, a whole lot of action, on those things. But how many of us know our neighbor? We know all this information about things we can take very little action on. And then God has put people right in front of us who we can take action on to bless them, to encourage them, to love them, to help make a difference right there. And we know very little information about those things which we can do something about. Watch out for the liars because Satan will have us tempted with worldly things instead of eternal things with our families. We can take action with our families. We can love people in our families. We can invest in them and encourage them. Man, there's all this information, and, and it tends to make us think that, that we have our superior because we have all this information. We know all about this stuff. We can't take action a whole lot. And again, there are things we can do. We can send money. We can participate. There's a little bit of action we can take. But when God has given us neighbors and family things right in front of us, you can pay for someone's meal and their coffee. There are a billion things you can take action on that God has called you to be a part of, and he hasn't called you to do some of these other things. We must know our role in our world. So number one, right? Realize that our vote is important, but it's not eternal. So please vote. Please do so. Number two, we must realize that we are to push all candidates and parties towards the truth, the truth found only in Jesus Christ. And by all, I mean all. By all, I mean all. God did not establish the Republican Party. God did not establish the Democratic Party, the Libertarian Party, the Independent Party. God did not establish any of those. He has established his church, and he has given us his word to guide us. And so all human institutions are flawed. Why? Because they're run by humans, right? And so there will be a level of sin in anything a human being touches. Do you trust your technology to be flawless? 
No. And you know and thank God. And our brothers who have been working so hard to get all of our technology stuff know they're sweating to get all this stuff. We know that it's a human invention and it will fail us. So will all of our political institutions on some level. And our job as Christians is to be not of this world. We are to be in the Republican Party, if that's how you roll, but not of the Republican Party. We're to be in the Democratic Party, but not of the Democratic Party. We're to be independent, libertarian, whatever, and but not of it. So how, how do we be faithful Christians in whatever party we go in? Again, uh, lawyer Justin Gibney says this. He says, we are from a different world, a different kingdom, an eternal kingdom. He says, the problem isn't this. The problem isn't that Christians are in political parties. The problem is that we have allowed our political parties to frame the issues for us, to create a dangerous false dichotomy that splits the gospel. The problem is not that Christians are in political parties. The problem is that we have allowed our parties to frame the issues for us and teach us what is true and right, knowing not enough of the word of God to be able to call out either party where they are in error. He goes on to say this, truth be told, Christians should be on fire for justice and for moral order and the Lord Jesus Christ and at best be lukewarm partisans. I hope that you're on fire if you are a believer for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the gospel. And I hope you could proudly say, yeah, I'm a Republican, but I'm a lukewarm Republican. Compared to my Christianity, I'm lukewarm. I'm a Democrat, but I'm a lukewarm Democrat. Compared to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm on fire for him and I love his word and I believe what I believe. But listen to me now, I'm a lukewarm partisan. But oh, I fear that many Christians are lukewarm Christians and much more on fire for their party or their candidate or whatever. And again, I've seen it on both sides. I see people every week trying to convince me and convince you in the mail and every place else and through letters and emails and all kinds of things that their party is God's party. And we need to be reminded God established neither party. Justin Gimity goes on to say this. He says, you know, Christians, because we are so lockstep and been discipled so much by our parties, he says, we should never be compelled to defend our party or our candidate at every single critique. Have you noticed that? How people defend their candidate no matter what happens? He says, too many Christians hear a critique of their party and act like someone has insulted their very own mother. Have you noticed that, how people get so upset? Well, you can't talk about this. You can't talk about this. He's done nothing wrong. She's done nothing wrong. Nope, nope. He says, many Christians are more willing to contend for their ideological tribe or their party than to contend for the faith, which we are told to do in Jude, verse 3. And that was convicting to hear. Many of us are willing to contend more for our party or for our tribe than we are for the faith. So there are lots of examples how that if you're going to be a faithful Christian in whatever party you call or place yourself in, how are you to push them all towards the truth? Well, let's talk through a couple issues, right? Because that's really what people are saying. Pastor, I want to know about the issues. So let's look at a couple of scriptures here as we talk about how do we push either party or either candidate to say, hey, listen, you need to be thinking through the scriptures. I think probably one of the most clearest examples is defending and understanding the rights of unborn children. Psalm 139, Psalm 139 says this in verse 13 through 16. The Bible says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Where were we all knit together? In our mother's womb, right? I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully 
made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being made in the image of God. And then it says this, verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Where is that at? That's obviously in the womb. It's very clear. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And so, yes, we are defenders of life. We should be pro-life Christians. And if you're going to be in either party, you need to make sure you're pushing that party in that direction. If you're a Democrat, you need to say, hey, listen, I've got some problems with some of these things here, and I want to know what you are going to do to change that. Instead of just saying, well, we've got to be one. If you're a Republican, you were to say, hey, listen, we need to make sure we stick to this. And, and, and as a Christian, because I represent the kingdom and I represent what God has said, I want to make sure this party or that party, this platform or that person stays the course because what God has given us is what's best. And we need to make sure we are vying for that. But at the end of the day, at the same time, there's not just one issue, right? There are many issues. In fact, a critique of many Christians is, is that, as I've heard people say, Christians are only pro-life when it comes from conception to birth. We are not pro-life once a baby is born. And so what, many of people have asked me, what are Christians doing to be pro-life once people are outside and living in this world? How are we helping the poor? How are we helping single mothers? How are we helping these people who have decided to keep their baby? What are we doing to assist them and to bless them and make sure they have an opportunity? What are we doing about racial injustices? Because it has been clear that black bodies have been slain in the street. And if we're going to say we're pro-life, well, then we better be pro-life womb to tomb. What are we doing about the coronavirus? And are Christians saying, hey, listen, we need to make sure that we are not putting people's lives at risk because we are pro-life people womb the tomb. And so there's not just one issue. There are many issues. In fact, we could talk about uh, sort of what is called the triad of the Old Testament. All through the Old Testament, you find hundreds of verses about this triad. And one of the verses is Deuteronomy 10.18. Deuteronomy 10.18 says this, he, that's God, defends the cause of the fatherless, that's one in the triad, or the orphan and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And this is all through the Old Testament. In fact, the people of Israel are judged for how they have treated the poor and the foreigner and the, and the fatherless and the widow among them. These are all throughout the scriptures. And so this is a pro-life issue that we need to be concerned about as well. And either party, we need to be saying, hey, listen, if, if, if we're going to work together for the government and there are disagreements about what is the best way to care for people in poverty, what is the government's role, what are nonprofits' role? And listen, my job as a pastor is not to get into them. We need Christians who are in that role to help establish where is the government uh, begin and where does the government have limitations about how they're going to help people in all these situations. That's not for me to say. It's for us as Christians to say, here are the things that God values. And if we're not paying attention to them, God is missing from our equation. Exodus 22, verse 21 says this, Do not mistreat or oppress the foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. He's talking to the people of Egypt. Again, what does that mean for our borders and all that sort of stuff? I don't have clear answers. We need biblically-minded Christians that treat people well and protect borders. And I don't know what that is going to look like. That's not my role as a pastor. But for people to mock or to make claims that all foreigners are this or that, well, that's damaging because what did God just say right there? Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, an immigrant, 
Because you were immigrants at one time. This is what he said to the children of Israel who were in Egypt. And so we need to make sure that when it comes to policies and those sorts of things, there are policies that recognize the dignity and that people, foreigners, people of all countries are made in the image of God. Again, Proverbs 17, we talk about the poor. Whoever mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. We're, we're mocking God when we mock the poor. And so if you're in either one of these parties, we've got to say, and I don't believe that either party has treated the poor very well. I think politics often becomes about power. And if I'm in politics, I'm saying how long I can stay in power and how much I can benefit myself. And I run over and trample people of all kinds of things. And I say what this, this side wants and I say what that side wants so that I can stay in power a little bit longer. I'm not saying everybody's like that. Uh, I know there are believers in politics and we need to pray for them. We need to pray for all of our politicians. And, um, and, but we need to make sure that these things are continuing to be part of the conversation. And we are willing to critique our parties and to push them all and say, wait a second, you can't say things like that. You, you can't push forward things like that. I want you to know that as a Christian, I stand for these issues. Yeah, there might be a lump of Christians that you think, but no, real Christians care about all of these things. Someone has shared with me some statistics on uh, hunger-related illnesses. And did you know that 9 million people die every year from hunger and hunger-related illnesses? 9 million people. 9 million die a year. Is that a pro-life issue, that people are dying from hunger in 2020? And we live in the most prosperous nation in the world, and we have opportunities to help those people. 3.1 million children die from malnutrition. And in our very rich world, there's no need for people to die from these things. There are opportunities. But yet, certain parties, both parties, have cut funding to these programs. And when have Christians, when have you ever heard Christians speak up about the fact that people are dying all throughout the world of hunger? We speak about, again, babies, which we should speak about. They should be uh, protected. But how often we've heard about other diseases and things that people have died from? These are all pro-life issues. And so we need to take care of them. I love what J.D. Greer said. He's the president of Southern Baptist Convention and a pastor. And some of that, they're doing a series on this. I think he probably borrowed all his ideas from me. Uh, I mean, he's only got like 10,000 people at his church and five different campuses. Um, but, you know, he started uh, a week after I started mine. I think he just wanted to see what I was preaching on first. And, um, and so, but I heard him say uh, and just reminding that Christians need to be motivated by love to care about the issues of public righteousness as well. Proverbs 14, verse 34 says this, Righteousness righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And when sin is allowed to run rampant in our society, man, it is like a cancer that rots out the soul of a nation. And so celebrating wicked and sinful things, celebrating the deterioration of things like marriage, gender, and sexuality has devastating effects. You know what else has devastating effects on our society as well? Racism and bigotry and prejudice. All of these things are issues that we need to care about. And we need to be saying, listen, no, these things are front and center. And, and we care about all of these issues. John Adams, one of the founders of our nation, famously said this, we have staked the future of our democracy and our country on the ability of people to know and understand the basic Bible teachings and the Ten Commandments. And he says this, if we get away from this, if we get away from this framework of understanding the basic Bible doctrines and the Ten Commandments, it would be like a fish net 
and a person trying to restrain a whale. You think that's going to happen? No, we're going to get pulled. And so listen, the further we, we get away, and listen, oh, we are often concerned about how our, our uh, you know, other people are, uh, you know, not obeying the scriptures. We need to be concerned with how are we obeying the scriptures. Remember I said at the beginning of the series, I said, I don't want to hear. Pastor, I know someone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they need to hear this. No. How are we doing this? How are we being obedient to it? And so we must realize, listen, that we are to push all parties and candidates towards the biblical truth in the scriptures. You know what, Mike? I forgot to read the very first verse. We're supposed to go back through uh, the texture in John 17. Um, and so we'll just keep going. Give him number three, Mike. I apologize. Um, number three. Here we go. How did I skip those? Mike's probably shaking his head back there. Number three, realize that our actions must be different from the world. We'll get to the text now, Mike. Realize that our actions must be different than the world. Christians should not be participating in slander or spin, which is basically a lie with a bow put on it. Bruce, Bruce Ashford, who is a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, said this. He says, we dishonor Christ when we get caught up in the circumambient. I had to look up that word. Circumambient. Maybe you heard of that word before. Maybe you did great on your SATs. And uh, circumambient means all-encompassing. I was like, wow, I've never seen that word in my life. I think you made that up. He says, we dishonor Christ when we get caught up in the circumambient imbecility. That was a word I've at least heard before. I still had to look up the definition, right? And the circumambient imbecility of our day, the tribalizing, the polarizing, the mocking, the insulting of other people, the insincere and cynical political engagement modeled by radio hosts, by TV pundits, and modeled by our political candidates. He says, we dishonor Christ when we engage in those things. Our behavior... Our actions must be different than the world's actions because we are to be in the world, but not of the world. So let's look at verses 18 and 19 here uh, back in the text. And um, verses 18 and 19, he goes on to say this. And again, he's talked about uh, the truth of the word of God. But verse 18 says this, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We're being sent into the world, right? Being sent into the world. As you sent me, we are being sent for the purpose of making disciples and glorifying God. And for their sake, notice this word. He says, I consecrate myself. Consecrate. That means set apart. And then he's going to use a very similar word in the Greek again. He says that they may also be sanctified in what? The truth. Sanctified. Sanctified means we are to be set apart. There's a different way that we operate. We're set apart from the world and we're set apart by the truth and again it was all throughout this text uh, where he says your word is truth uh, earlier in the verse he says sanctify them sanctify them how are we to be set apart and different from the world is the more we know of the word of god the more our minds renewed according to the word of god the easier it does for us to spot those things and be like you know what nope that's not appropriate i, I don't care if they're if they're my candidate or my party i'm standing up and i'm saying that's not right I am going to speak up and say, this is the truth. And I don't know about you, but but for me, for years, I have sort of felt politically homeless because there are problems in both parties that I've seen. And I've seen it just because I'm like, look, I'm just reading the Bible, folks. And why are you guys doing it that way? Why are you treating these people that way? I'm just reading the Bible and, and you're out of line with the Bible. And so I feel politically homeless. Michael Weir, also part of the Ann campaign and, and lawyer, he says this, the problem is not that Christians are politically homeless. The problem is that Christians thought we could ever make a home in politics in the first place. Our home 
is with God the Father. Our home is in Christ. Our home is part of the eternal kingdom. Why would we ever try to make a home someplace else where God has not called us? You wouldn't say I've made a home in Best Buy. You wouldn't say I made a home in Walmart. You know where your home is, right? You wouldn't make a home someplace else that is not your home. Why would we ever try to make ourselves feel at home and totally comfortable in either party? We need to be calling out these things. We need to realize that our actions must be different from the world. I think a great example of this, again, is the lies and the slander that we see people both sides participating in, the way we see people treat each other during debates and the running over of one another, um, and even the Supreme Court nomination of Amy Comey Barrett. I mean, I think she's a fantastic candidate. I, I hope you're praying for her. I think she's an amazing woman. I think she's a brilliant mind. But listen, the way the Republicans went about that is at best dishonest. Because in 2016, when the Democrats were in, in control and President Obama tried to nominate um, Merrick Garland, the Republicans, Mitch McConnell and, and uh, Lindsey Graham and everybody else said, nope, that is a violation of our Constitution. You must let the people decide. You can't nominate someone in an election year. That's what they said verbatim. You can watch all this stuff and you may have heard it. You may be tired of it, whatever. And, and so, listen, the real deal is the Republicans weren't in control and they just didn't want the Democrats to nominate there. And they should have just said that because now that they're in control, now they've changed the story. Well, it's different now. And all this is true. And listen, they have lost. If Republicans thought they had the moral high ground and as Christians, we need to be able to say, hey, look, that's an awesome candidate. And man, I really wish we can get that candidate in there. But we're not going to do the right thing in the wrong way. You teach your kids that, right? You want your kids to make A's on tests. You tell them don't cheat on a test, right? It defeats the purpose. I had a friend of mine who went to a Muslim country to play basketball because in a lot of those Muslim countries, they couldn't and they wouldn't allow missionaries in. So they went undercover as basketball teams. And so they would have their basketball games. And then afterwards, they would get with the players. and They would share the gospel and start to talk about them because sharing the gospel was illegal in those countries. But, but, but what my friends and the basketball team had to wrestle with is how do we play the game? Because if we start cheating, if we start tripping people in a basketball game and then try to share the gospel with them afterwards, hasn't that ruined our testimony? And so you can't do the right thing in the wrong way. It's still the wrong thing. And so as Christians, we've got to be willing to call out all of these things, even if it makes us unpopular. As Jesus said in the same verse here, he says, the world will hate you. Listen, Republicans might hate us for standing on the word of God for these things. Democrats and liberals may hate us for standing on the word of God for these things. And that's okay, because we are called to be salt and we are called to be light. And so how are you to vote? How are you to stand? How are you to act? You vote and act as someone who is not of this world. I'm not going to be infected with either any worldly system. And for those of you who are watching or for those of you who are here and you are not yet a Christian, I hope it is painfully evident that you can't put your hope in politics. I hope it is painfully evident that these movements will come and go, parties will come and go, but there is an eternal destiny that you have, sir or ma'am. And listen, your desire, some people are so active. I, I meet people like this all the time. They're so active. They're going after all these things. Your desire to improve our country, your desire to fight for the rights of these people or these people it's showing that you have an eternal homing beacon inside of you. God is calling you through those things. The reason you want to improve our society is because God is calling you to something greater. And you're trying to get your needs fulfilled through politics, but let me tell you what, politics will use you and abuse you to get what they want. God has called you, though, to make a difference 
when you submit to Him. And so without an eternal standard in our world, all, all kinds of crazy things will be affirmed in our world. And so listen, the, the, the problem, if we want to truly help society, the problem we always have to realize is right here with me. You see, our world is broken. There is racism. There is the murder of babies. There, there is the, uh, the, the ruining of the institution of marriage between one man and one woman, all because sin exists in our world. And I am a culprit of that. And what am I doing? Well, I've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've got to be making sure that my sin is not causing the problem. But the reality is it is. Because until my son is dealt with with the cross of Christ, boy, I will continue to bring my sinful ways to all the things that I try to help with, right? I often teach my kids, right, uh, that if they spilled, we had a nice white carpet, right? Imagine if we had a nice white carpet in here or whatever or at your house. Why would anyone ever buy a white carpet? I don't know. But some of us do, and I appreciate you if you do. I'm not hating on you. And, um, and let's say we spilled some grape juice on there. And we spilled some grape juice, and then one of the kids wanted to clean it up before mom and dad saw it. They were like, oh, i got to clean up this. And they couldn't find any rags, all that sort of stuff. And so they went out into the garage, and they found an old greasy rag that, you know, had been used on the lawnmower to help change some oil. And so at one time it was white, but now it's black and oily. And they came and they started rubbing that carpet where the grape juice was. What would happen? Well, we'd just, we'd just be making more of a mess, right? This is what happens when we bring our sinful selves without Christ to all of these issues of our world. And so, sir or ma'am, what I'm trying to communicate to you is if you don't know Christ, you have a filthy rag. In fact, the Bible says all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. And you're bringing your filthy rag. But Jesus says, listen, if you would come to me, if you would submit your life to me, you would be made clean. Sin is a problem for our world. Sin is what's keeping us at odds with other people. Sin is what's destroying our nation and our world. Sin is, is, is where justice and order get perverted. Sin is what's causing these things. Pastor and author Rich Viota said this, sin is not just something we do. Listen to me now. It's not just something we do but it's a power that humanity is under. We can't educate ourselves out of its grip. We can't overcome it through our good behavior or progressive achievements or by moral consistency. The antidote for sin is found only in a power outside of ourselves, the cross of Jesus Christ. So if you want to make a difference, sir or ma'am, you will make the most difference by continuing to be a person who lives not of this world. And if, and if you're not yet a believer, we invite you to follow Christ. In fact, I'd like for us to bow our heads as our worship team prepares to come up and lead us in this last song. And if, and if you are not a believer, I'd love to give you the opportunity for Christ to call you his own. Because the Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all committed grave un- injustice against the Creator. We've all broken his commandments. And if you know that's you and you haven't yet given your life to Christ, whether you're watching online or, or here with us, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. If, if you know that you would like to step across the line and become a follower of Jesus Christ and step away from the prince and the power of this world and step into being led by Christ, you might want to say something just as simple as this. You could pray this just quietly there in your heart, in your seat. You might want to say something like this. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you. I admit that I've sinned against you. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose again on the third day. I believe that you rose again on the third day. Jesus, I want to follow you all the days of my life. 
Jesus, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Father, thank you for loving me. Father, thank you for loving me. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you, you know you want to step across the line. love for you to fill out a connection card, uh, again, digitally, uh, or right here in the room. There are connection cards on your seat, or you can fill out the, the one uh, by using your cell phone. I want to encourage you to share that with somebody because we all need to grow. Your mind needs to be renewed, just like all Christians' minds need to be renewed. And we want to help you grow. We don't want to embarrass or anything like that. We want to help equip you to live as a person who is no longer of this world. N-O-T-W. I want to pray for all of us now. Father, I know this has been a crazy season. I know tensions can get high. But Lord, as we've navigated these past three weeks, God, I pray you would give us hearts for unity. Not uniformity, because we're going to continue to disagree. But God, that we'd have unity in the gospel. And we wouldn't dare ever allow politics to divide the bride of Christ but that we would love and serve one another. And we would love one another. We would love our neighbors. We would love the lost. We would love our enemies like Christ loved us. And that we would continue to be people who are not of this world. We are not swayed by what's popular. We're not swayed by popular sexuality. We're not swayed by popular ethics. God, we are not swayed by uh, popular movements. We are swayed only by the word of God. And we will stick to the word of God. Day in and day out, as best we know how, Father. God, give us grace to be not of this world. Give me grace, Lord, to be not of this world. God, we submit our attitudes to you, Father. We submit all these things to you. God, we pray for our nation. God, we pray as our elders have been praying, as our leaders have been praying. God, we pray, God, for a revival to break out, Jesus. Because, God, when people are living according to your word, it doesn't matter who's in the city council. It doesn't matter who's the mayor or the governor. God, when revival breaks out, nothing can stop your spirit because we are part of an unstoppable movement that will bring light and beauty and goodness to your world, Father. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. We're going to invite you to sing with us in our response song. And typically we would have some time for folks to receive prayer. We'll ask that if you would need prayer, you guys can stand as you're standing to your feet.